0: Thank you, Stephen. What a blessing. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians in chapter 1. We'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. The apostle Paul writes... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intentions of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the kind intention which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is... The summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heaven and things on the earth. In him also we have an obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also have to hearing After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of God. Amen? Amen. Well, let me start off by telling you that a few weeks ago, while I was in downtown New Rochelle witnessing and taking part of evangelism, I met a woman named Phyllis. Now Phyllis is a middle-aged black woman who shares a distinction of being a believer, but one who was struggling with her confidence and assurance. Now I'm relating this to you because on too many occasions, I meet people like Phyllis, Believers who struggle with their assurance in Christ, and mainly due to the lack of knowledge. When engaging in evangelism, I don't only see my job as an evangelist to preach only to the unregenerate, the unbelievers, but I'm also there seeking to minister to believers just like Phyllis, who might be struggling in their faith. See, I believe many times we as believers can, de- can unduly struggle with our faith. And that's because we can easily forget about the great blessings as believers we've received in Christ. Blessings so great, it results in this wonderful and beautiful passage that the Apostle Paul pens explaining why God is to be blessed. Ultimately, our confidence and assurance comes not from ourselves, but it comes from God because of the work that he has done for us. Amen? Amen. So if there's anything I want you to appreciate after hearing this message is that like Phyllis, you don't have to struggle with ongoing doubt because it is Christ and only Christ that all of these spiritual blessings are yours And they're the very reason why the Apostle Paul says, God is to be blessed. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, the Apostle Paul proclaims, God is to be blessed. Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is to be blessed because of the exhaustive spiritual blessing that he's supplied to us, right? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. But, you know, before we look at these blessings, I think it will probably benefit us if we try to understand what Paul means by saying we need to bless God. Like, how does one bless God? I wonder if you've ever considered that question. When Paul speaks about blessing God, he's telling us to speak well of God. He's telling us to pay respect and honor for what he's done. In fact, it's the very act of testifying of the remarkable goodness of God. And Paul does a wonderful job reminding us believers about God's goodness. Continuing in verse 3, we see the only charitable uh, charitable giving is actually done by God himself because we are the recipients of his spiritual blessings. Paul states that all the spiritual blessings are directly from the Father. The Father is the source of the spiritual blessings. And they're given freely to his people. And out of an abundance of joy, we bless God. We speak well of him because of what he's done. Now, who are God's people? Well, it's only those who've been identified as being in Christ. So, as we consider these specific natures of the blessing of God, keep in mind that all believers are recipients of these spiritual blessings. You see, the gospel is a gospel of reconciliation. And in him, we receive the same abounding riches of his treasure store, peace and eternal life. This is such a great doctrinal truth. You know, there are many people who believe in two classes of Christians. There are normal Christians, and then there are super Christians, right? They're superior because they've got greater spiritual blessings due to serving God in a superior way. But come on, look at the scripture. Not according to it, right? The only requirement to enjoy all of these blessings are if you are in Christ. Amen? Amen. Take notice how many times we're told that Paul says that, is it, that it is in Christ all these blessings are received. Four times in Christ, alone in our passage. Six times in him, one time in the beloved. Now why is this? It's because no one else offers forgiveness in sin. No one. If anyone puts their faith in any number of the other world's religion, they're lost. This is just another way that speaks of salvation only through Jesus Christ. So the day that you find yourself being interviewed by any of the broadcast networks demanding to know if your religion or your faith is inclusive of of everyone, even those who rebelliously define themselves by their sins, do me a favor and don't flake out. Speak the the biblical truth, right? We believe here uncompromisingly that Christ alone saves amen Amen. and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved Acts chapter 4 and this is the recurring theme found throughout scripture only those in Christ are the recipients of his blessings You can be as good as you think you want to be, or that you are, but if you're not in Christ and you die apart from him, you are lost forever. When Noah built the ark, the only lives spared were all the people and the animals who boarded to escape judgment. Well, guess what? This is the same picture here. Jesus is the ark of salvation, and unless one is found in him, they will perish. So, we enjoy these blessings whether we are new believers or seasoned in the faith. No more, no less than another, because these specific spiritual blessings God has determined is common among all believers. Let me repeat that again. These specific spiritual blessings are common among all believers, And it's the way God has lavished all these spiritual blessings upon us that has the Apostle Paul passionately proclaiming the goodness of God as he considers the wonderful spiritual blessing God has unleashed from his storehouse onto all of us. Praise be to God. These benefits, they come as a full package for those of us who are in Christ. Amen. Now, according to the Apostle Paul, what has God done to bless us? And what are the true natures of these blessings? How do they allow us to grow day by day in the faith? How does our confidence and assurance grow? Well, here's what God has specifically done for us. Look at verse 4. He's chosen us. Verse 5. He's predestined us. Verse 7. He's redeemed us. Verse 9. He's revealed to us the mystery In verse 11, he's given us an inheritance. And finally, in verse 13, he's sealed us. So, the first blessing that we're going to look at, that all believers have received from the Father, is being chosen. Look at verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. For some, this is just terrible. It's terrible to speak of the fact that God has chosen us. It's even made far worse when you consider not only did he choose us, but the the scriptures proclaim that our choice, what the choice wasn't even ours to be made. And it was made even before the world was constructed. Some will argue, well, this ruins my free will. And God is too much of a gentleman to violate that. He leaves the ultimate choice to me. Sorry, but the scripture says otherwise. In fact, it speaks of the opposite far too often for this to be true. Just consider that the fact that we are dead in our transgressions and slaves to sin. Paul uses these striking metaphors in his writing because both the dead and slaves can't do anything about their disposition. The truth of the scripture is that man's will is in bondage to sin and outside of Christ, he can do nothing but choose to sin. So contrary to the erroneous claim that many believe that man bears the sole power to freely choose God as savior, it does not match up with the scriptures. The fact is that this list that we're looking at is a list of what God has exclusively and sovereignly done with hope from no one for all of those who are in Christ. In fact, in the final analysis, the only one who demonstrates free will in the entirety of the cosmos is God himself, right? See, it's always been about God's sovereign choice, it's always been about God's sovereign choice alone. Listen how this, how this spiritual blessing is affirmed in the Gospel of John. In John 15, Jesus says this to his disciples. You are my friends. If you do what I, what I command you, no longer do I call you slaves for the slaves did not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. Can we get any clearer than that? God's friends came about by his own sovereign choice, not man. Not yours, not mine, none of us had chosen him. He chose who he would establish a relationship out of this fallen and sinful world that is hostile to him and opposed to him. And don't miss some of the blessings that we see here parallel in Ephesians 1. Chosen friends, reveal what the Father has told to him, to them, appointed, another word for predestined, to what? To go and bear fruit. See, we too were once hostile to God. We despised him. We didn't want anything to do with him. He chose us as friends. Paul writes to the Ephesians just a chapter later in chapter 2, Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the others. Pay attention to the most important intervening most important intervention that God has uttered in the scripture. But God, rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen. Amen. Isn't those wonderful? These two words, but God, speaks of the intervening work of God in our lives. You see, the dead can't will themselves to come to life. They're dead. And dead people have no ability to do anything about their their circumstance. In fact, what we have here is the sovereign power of God at work. You know, it's the same sovereign power of God that Jesus displayed when he called his dead friend Lazarus out of the grave. What I love about this is that many have contemplated that Jesus specifically called Lazarus by name because if he would have just given a general call, come forth, everyone in the region would have come out of the grave, right? Think about that. It's a wonderful observation. It also confirms God's specific choice in who he calls. When God calls by name, everyone he calls must come and will come. And when they come, they will never, ever perish. Amen? Amen. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The Gospel of John chapter 10. What a wonderful passage regarding God's sovereign choice and the calling to eternal life. Whomever God chooses can never be lost. Can we understand that and finally put that to rest? If God has chosen you, all of these things must proceed. No wonder you can never be lost. That's why it's erroneous to affirm the opposite, because it contradicts the word of God. Jesus himself said, "I can lose no one. No one will snatch him out of my hand." Once he's rescued them from death, who can go against God? Who will dare oppose him? Every chosen by God is eternally secure. His hands are not weak. they're not limp. But they're so strong that he can't lose anybody. It's an impossibility. Because backed up by this is God's decree. Whosoever call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can you understand why this is? This first blessing is to be a great boost to our confidence and assurance in Christ? Back to verse 4, we see that it concludes with just as he chose us. In him, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy, holy and blameless before him. According to this verse, there is a purpose for choosing people. God chooses people not merely to save them from hell. If that's all that you think he's doing, you're, you're just missing the point. The fact is that God has purpose to make a holy and blameless people in the likeness of Christ to come into everlasting fellowship with him. You see, without holiness, there can be no fellowship with God. Without fellowship with God, no relation. Since God, since no one could survive God's holy presence if they were unredeemed. For this to happen, every one of us must be transformed from the profane to the holy. And God has accomplished this. This is why we are saints who are blessed. Along with holiness, we also will be blameless, meaning there will be no more guilt and no more bondage to sin. This is why Paul can say in the 8th chapters of Romans, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. You want to know where my growing source of assurance and confidence come from? Right here. There's no more guilt. There's no more accusation against me. I have been chosen in Christ. While everybody is debating about certain privileges throughout the world. Oh, white privilege. Let me tell you something. This is the only one that I or you should be concerned of. It's called Christian privilege, right? Oh, what a blessing we have in Christ. (laughs) The second blessing we have received is our predestination or our appointment. Take a look at Ephesians verse 5 and 6. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the the beloved. Let's first establish something here. The very end of verse 4 connects to verse 5 with the phrase in love which Paul uses as a transition. This is to indicate that we're moving from decrees of very high doctrine to decrees that are relational. This is so important to understand because many times these decrees can come off sounding very cold and very clinical. But understand that these decrees that Paul describes are very loving their loving declaration of the Father who loves his people, the people who are in Christ. His decree of predestination is born out of his love and his kind intention, as well as his grace. You see, God's plan since eternity past was to create a people he would adopt as his own, who bear the exact image of his son, who succeeded where the first man, Adam, miserably failed. In verse 5 we read, In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Again, most, in most circles, this is yet another terrible word. Because what it does is that in, it destroys the inclusivity of universalism. And instead proclaims the exclusivity of the kingdom of God. There is only one way in. The door is Christ himself. No other way to get in. That's a pretty exclusive club. And God has decreed that only those he set his love upon are to be added to his family by adoption and only through Jesus Christ. This loving adoption makes the believer a recognized child of God's household, which is the church, It is this adoption which grants us full access to God who is the father of that household without the need for an earthly mediator because we are adopted through Jesus Christ and he's our mediator. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and supporter of the truth. You see, the household of God is another way of saying God's family. And God's family is the church. More than anything, more than anything else, when one receives this blessing, there's an actual change in legal status. We go from being children of wrath to adopted sons of God. And our adoptions as sons of God can only come through the belief in one person. And again, that person is, is Christ Jesus. But as to many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of uh, blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. For, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 1. In God's loving kind, he predetermined, he appointed that those he would adopt in his family would be possible through the sacrificial work of his son, who he reconciled us to himself. Also, did you notice the exclusive sovereign work of God in that particular uh, scripture that I read dealing with our salvation? He gave them the right. They didn't earn it. No one merited it. He gave it to them who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, this is the sole work of God, and it's the premise of the gospel. God alone saves, irrespective of your pedigree, your ethnicity, and of the choice of anybody. And this is such great news and should play a great role in building up our assurance And our salvation, because our adoption is not merit based. Ephesians 6 closes the sixth verse with the answer that's common to the question that we all see over and over again. Now, I need you to repeat after me verse 6 because it's the answer to why does God do anything? And in one voice we say, to the praise, to the praise of the glory of his grace, right? It's always been like this. Scripture is always clear. God does everything for his own glory. And his glory he doesn't share with anybody. So we need to stop taking credit when we start claiming that, no, I did this of my will, No, you didn't. God did. And it is for the purpose of his glory. You try to rob that from him, you're going to be on the wrong side. (laughs) The only determining factor of receiving God's blessing is that you are in the beloved. Which is another way of saying you're in Christ. Ultimately, everything is done to the praise of God's glory. And yet it's another reason why we are to speak well of God. The third blessing that we have is provided in our redemption. Take a look at Ephesians, uh, the seventh and eighth verse. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Redemption means ransoming from captivity or slavery. And the supreme Old Testament example of this is the nation of Exodus which embarked uh, is the nation of Israel which embarked on an exodus where God redeemed them from slavery from Egypt taking them for his own. Every believer has been redeemed Every believer has gone through their own personal exodus, being ushered from darkness into the wonderful, glorious light of God. And the redemption only comes through the precious blood of Christ. It's the only accepted payment. In Revelations chapter 5, listen to what it says. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seal, for you were slain and purchased for God with your bl- and you purchase for God with your blood men from every tongue, tribe, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Okay. All right, I'm done. I'm stopping. <laughs> if the outlook of your assurance haven't been uplifted by at least a couple of points, I, I don't know if I can help you <laughs> going forward. <laughs> Because here we see the work of God through Christ. We see that we have an assurance that nothing else can provide. By the way, there's only two world religions. There are the religions of works. That's everything on this side. It says, I'll do it my way. Then there's the religion of grace. Everything on this side, well, there's only one person there. It's Jesus And in that religion, it says, you can do nothing for yourself. It's already been done, right? Because it's the religion of grace. It's the religion where God does all the work for us. In the religion of work, you're responsible for paying your own way. You constantly say, look what I have done, right? But in the religion of grace, there's nothing to do. Instead, you're called to abide in Christ, putting your full faith and trust in his redemption. The forgiveness of our sins are thorough and complete because it's based on the richness of God's grace which he lavished on us. In other words, God hasn't held back on his grace. He's provided without limit by the incalculable worth of his son's blood can't imagine why people still persist after what Paul states here that one could be lost after so thoroughly being secured by the unlimited resources of God. The grace of God is generously poured out from his storehouse. Its unending supply is just dumped upon us. And it's doled out lavishly, not piecemeal. This isn't wartime rationing we're talking about. It is the full weight of God's provision for us. And let's not forget that Christ's blood redeemed all believers of all times, past, present, and future. Now, that's lavish generosity if I've never seen it before. Remember what the psalmist says in Psalms 32? How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And yet it's more reason why we're supposed to bless God, who by the work of Christ confidently we can be assured of our salvation. The next blessing that we have received from God is a special revelation Look at Ephesians 9.10, verses 9.10 in the first chapter. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in him. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on earth. The next two verses tell us that God has blessed us by providing a revelation of his own redemptive plan for the world. A plan that you would note was created in all wisdom and insight. Now, I don't, I don't understand why God does a lot of things. But I do know this. My feeble mind can never compare to his wisdom. In fact, the wisdom of the triune God whose insights are infinity times infinity times infinity, more than all of ours put together. So when God puts a plan together and when he decrees something because he is perfect, you can bet all those plans he put together are perfect as well. Amen? Now in scripture, mystery refers to the revealing of something previously previously hidden by God. In this case, key aspects of God's plan were hidden from out the ages and, and ages and from generation to generation. But now the mystery has been specially revealed to those of us who are his people. And this is a great blessing that we have. At the heart of this mystery is the amazing result of the new covenant, which has now been revealed in Christ with a forward-looking view to when everything in creation will be united in Christ and reconciled to him. Just two chapters ahead, specifically, uh, Paul specifically explains the heart of this mystery as it pertains to us. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3 to 6 it says by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief, which is what look, we're looking at. By referring to this, when you read that you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it now has been revealed to his holy apostles and to his prophets in the spirit. To be specific, here's the mystery that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That is so amazing. Before everything had been retained for the nation of Israel, they were supposed to be the people of God who by their example would bless all of the nations of the earth. And now... In this moment, when the time was right, this mystery has been made known to the apostle. It's always been God's plan to extend his salvation, bringing both Jews and Gentiles together, two people, and make them one, forming his body, the church. He does this through the person of Christ and by the means, as as Paul says, the gospel. This is the very reason why we are a gospel-centric church. Because it means that God has reconciled and unite the world to himself. Consider our demographics right here in Red Mills. We're made up of different heritage, ethnicities, traditions, and languages that would normally cause strife and division. But because we are in Christ... Out of those, out of those, uh, uh, um, out of what normally would cause those strife and division, comes unity and peace, and because everything is summed up in Christ. In Acts fifteen, we read after there had been much debate concerning the Gentiles, Peter stood up and said to them, "Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you." That by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He also did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. It's no wonder that Paul can affirm. In Romans 11, for there is no distinction between Jews and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. Amen. Amen? Unity is what God has accomplished. You know what I hate? What I hate about charlatans and false prophets is that they're always claiming to have some secret knowledge, right? That no one has supposedly found in the scripture until they came along. And it's always for sale. Why is it always for sale? Right? Books like the Bible Code or TV Prophets. And, and I actually saw this. This just had me rolling. TV Prophet came and he said, according to Psalms 89.10, if you want a prophet's reward, you need to send me, well, let me guess, $89.10. <laughs> and I'll reveal what God told me. Could you believe that? Now, let me say something serious, even though I'm laughing. If you're sending for that, stop it, right? Stop it. Don't do it. Here, God himself has revealed the true mystery that is our blessing. It comes as part of the full benefits that we receive. All believers have received this. There are no other mysteries, guys. It's all been revealed in Scripture, and it's been revealed in Christ. That's why we ought to bless the name of God and his Son for giving us this specific blessing of revelation. Amen. Our next blessings we have received from the Father is our inheritance. Take a look at verse 11 and 12. In him we also have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. This blessing is the result of God working all things to the counsel of his own will. He needs no help from no one. This is for the purpose of believers whose hope is in Christ would glorify him. Now, back in verse 5, Paul specifies that we were predestined to adoption. But here, the difference is that we've been predestined, but uh, we've been predestined, but to an inheritance, an inheritance that results in the praise and glory of God. Now, what is an inheritance? Inheritance is that which has been given or designated as an enduring possession or a lot, sometimes, redeemed, sometimes referred to as a heritage. And in fact, in Psalms 135, we find that God had given Israel the land of Canaan as a heritage. We also see in Psalms 94, interestingly, for the Lord will not abandon his people, it says, nor will he forsake his inheritance. So here what we can see there that these are two sides of the same coin. We see that God has redeemed his own possession, which is us, the people of God. And so in sense, this inheritance is that God is ours, And we are gods. Amen? Amen. This is why it says, just uh, later on in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? God's power is seen in the blessing of our inheritance. Now, it's easy to think that we're the most important people in the universe, but even this blessing, we see the soul focuses on God. It's the means to the ultimate end of glorifying Himself. And this is such wonderful news. God is our inheritance fulfilling the chief end of man, which is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we, we also are God's inheritance. And God looks forward to enjoying forever the people he has saved. That is so wonderful. If we were to properly grasp this and all the implications of this, We would be the happiest people on all the face of the earth being full of unspeakable joy, confidence, and assurance. We would be so because with Paul, we would recognize the great interest and stake that we have in all of this and that we're going to share it all together. In his commentary on Ephesians, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Ultimately, It means seeing God. It means being with Christ and enjoying his glory. It means reigning with Christ. We will enjoy paradise because we are in Christ and we will enjoy that eternally blessed state which will never end. Amen? Praise God for that. After 10,000 years has concluded in paradise, we'll realize, oh my goodness, there's forever to go and it'll never, ever end. If we know this truth, we won't fall into the same old trap by being consumed by what this world has to offer. The fleeting thing of this world that men fight over, it pales in comparison to what God has for us in our eternal inheritance, which is incorruptible and undefiled and will never fade away. The joy of being redeemed. The joy of knowing even if we lose everything in this life is that our inheritance is safe and it is sure. This is why Paul explains to the Philippians in verse uh, 7 of chapter 3. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ." More than that, I counted all these things to be lost in view of what? The surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. This is our inheritance. Gain just as much as we are his gain. Our final blessing that we have is having been sealed. If you take a look at verses 13 and 14, you'll see that it reads, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge to our inheritance with a view to redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Notice that this is the working of the triune God. The father decrees, the son goes and does the work, and then the Holy Spirit secures. God has determined that sealing of his believers occur after one hears the gospel message of truth, followed by believing faith. A couple of things to know. First, the message is a message that's proclaimed so people can hear and believe. This occurs when the gospel is communicated. Everything is under God's sovereignty. And as stated before, even coming to faith is under God's sovereignty. Many will hear the message, but few will be granted belief. This is affirmed to the Philippians where Paul tells them, for to you it has been granted to believe for Christ's sake, I mean, for you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It would seem that God's granting of belief was taken already for, you know, typical knowledge. But it was the knowledge that suffering for his sake the Philippians would have to endure. God is clearly in total control so that he sends his preachers as ambassadors with a message that makes believers. And when he makes believers with that message, he chooses and then seals them until the day of their final redemption. So the seal is a mark of God upon every believer that identify one as belonging to Christ. Now, in ancient times, a wax seal was stamped with a signet ring that left a unique mark that was used to identify and authenticate documents for an from an important official. And this is the same imagery employed here, except now that identifying mark is the Holy Spirit himself. This mark, although invisible to the human eye, is demonstrated by saving faith in the individual who has been saved. And as we read before... Appointed or predestined to bear fruit. You want to identify a fellow believer? Look at their fruit. God is predestined, He's ordained this, that every one of us should bear fruit. Oh, what a great way to take a self diagnostic and see whether you are truly in the faith because it's been appointed, bearing fruit. Now, as I said, This mark is invisible to the human eye. And it's given to individuals. And specifically, I say individuals because it can't be shared nor inherited, can't be passed by, passed from one person to another. A person chosen by God is sealed and has to come into their own personal relationship with God. I know it's basic basic understanding, but I can't tell you how many times when on the streets witnessing to people, so many of them tell me, oh yeah, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. I say, well why? Demonstrate to me. Oh, well, because my parents are Christians. That's, That's not true. Right? I then have to show them how faith is not like a family heirloom that they can pass from one person to another. It has to be it has to be personal. You must have a relationship with God. Also notice that the Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit of promise. This is because there's a future view and focus of our redemption. We are God's own possession, his inheritance. And it's impossible for him to lose or abandon us. For our assurance and confidence, the Holy Spirit has promised He was given as a promise and a pledge to God's people. He's our deposit. He's our guarantee of our inheritance. And this is why we can be confident because God never goes back on his word or his promise. When he makes them, they're a decree and they must come to pass. How blessed God is. Let me again ask you this as we close. Why does God do anything? Well, even as this close, we see the answer is and always has been to the praise of his glory. These are the reason why God is to be blessed. What he's done for us in providing such amazing blessings is the basis of my and should be for your growing confidence and assurance. There's a clear difference between worldly confidence and assurance, which arrogantly boasts in its own works. The confidence and assurance that we have is based on the work of God which he's done and accomplished through Jesus Christ and ultimately it's to the praise of his glory and to our benefit as receiving all these blessings in Christ amen father we are so thank you we are so thankful the great gifts that you have doled out on us these blessings that we find which has eternally secured us which has marked us which is bringing us through Lord God this particular age until the next age where we will glorify you in our redeemed bodies in this redeemed world and heaven and enjoy you forever oh how great it is is the man who and the woman who will stand there and see you talk to you, fellowship with you, and then we will remember how fleeting this world was, how the tribulations of this world in comparison to eternity has paled. And though it feels long, it is but momentary and a light affliction because of the sovereign work that you have done in preparing us for the next age to come. And so we pray, Lord God, as we remember these blessings, as we grow in confidence and assurance and into the image of Christ, that after all this, we will all glorify your name and bless you, speaking well of you to all men, women, and children of the earth, because you too will share this with them if they repent of their sins and are found in your son, Jesus Christ. This we pray today. Amen.